When a problem arises, what motivates our responses? Is it fear? Is it worry? Is it pride? We've been going through Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. And Paul loved this church community in Corinth, and he wanted to see them grow in their faith. But they had some problems that needed addressed. And he wants them to respond with the gospel. First, we saw Paul tell them how to respond to divisions in the church. In this church, it had been divided because they were separated into cliques based on who their favorite pastor and leader was. And they had a spirit of competition in the church. And Paul tells them to reject this division and instead pursue unity. In this letter to the Corinthians, Paul also addressed sexual immorality. See, the body is not a separate thing from you. It's not me and then my body. No, your body affects your spirit and your spirit affects your body. And what we do with our body matters. And God's given us guidance for how the gospel responds to sins that we do with our body. See, God has another way that leads to the avoidance of guilt and shame and insecurity. So today, we're going to look at this third part in this series of the, uh, about the book of 1 Corinthians. And we're going to look how the gospel responds to the problem of food. How many have a problem with food, right? You don't need to raise your hand. Now, obviously, bodies come in all shapes and sizes. Uh, Sometimes medical issues can cause people to gain weight, but some of us use food just like others use alcohol or sexual pleasure. When we have a bad day, we don't reach for meth, we reach for Rocky Road, right? Now, is, is it wrong to enjoy food? Absolutely not. Ecclesiastes 9.7 says, Go and eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart for God has approved already what you do. See, we don't have to eat bread and drink water and be sad all the time. It's okay to feast and celebrate and thank God for all of it. 1 Timothy 6.17 says, God richly provides us all things to enjoy. Now, but we do need to be careful of being addicted to food and using food as a coping mechanism rather than leaning on Jesus because we can make food an idol when we begin to let our world revolve around it and how it makes us feel. Gluttony is probably the most tolerated sin in American Christian culture. In fact, there are many preachers that struggle with this little white sin. But gluttony is often mentioned right alongside drunkenness in the Bible. We need to have self-control. And anything really we do in excess that distracts us from what's most important can be gluttony. We can be gluttons for video games, gluttons for shopping, gluttons for fishing, gluttons for work. Insert anything in here that you rely on for your happiness more than you rely on God. We can't give control of our lives over to our appetites because our appetites never are satisfied. They only get bigger. So we're talking about food today, but Paul's totally not talking about gluttony in this, in this chapter. This, that was all just free commercial because we don't talk about gluttony very much. All right? So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 4. 
Because food was a big part of this. In fact, there was a disagreement in this church over food. Specifically, food offered to idols. And here's the question. Is it okay to, offer, uh, to eat some food after it has been offered in worship to another god? That's the question here. Think about that. Say you're at a picnic and someone takes that hamburger and puts it on an altar to Zeus and prays over it and then hands it to you. What do you do? Is that okay? And this is something that this church in Corinth uh, struggled with. So Paul begins to teach them how the gospel responds. And in this, we're going to see uh, that Paul tells us that not every question, not every subject has one clear-cut answer. And when God's law is silent on something, we need to have grace for each other and instead pursue unity. See, we unify over the essentials, the non-negotiables, but a church shouldn't be filled with division over non-essential issues. So 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4. It says, Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols... We know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Michael Haubman says in the early years of the church, as Gentile converts began uh, joining Jewish believers in local fellowships, an issue arose concerning the eating of meat. And in the culture of Corinth, it was saturated with idol worship. And it was common for meat that was sold in the marketplace to have been consecrated as a sacrifice to false gods prior to its sale. And the Jews said... We're going to have nothing to do with this meat. They were uh, uh, unsure of the food handling practices and whether or not it was clean or not. And they believed that partaking in this meat was to give their approval of idol worship, kind of like secondhand idolatry. But the Gentiles rejected this notion that the meat was tainted, and they held that they couldn't eat the meat sacrificed to idols without endorsing idolatry because... First of all, they had not actually offered the sacrifice after all. And idols are just wood and stone. There is only one God. And an idol can't change meat just like it can't change anything else. So this matter of confusion about what was right or wrong and these different opinion of opinions were a point of contention within this church. And the two sides of an argument were getting frustrated with each other, both thinking that the other was committing sin. But Paul pulls them away from that argument about who is right and who is wrong, because that's not what is important here. Verse 7 goes on. It says, however, not all possess this knowledge of these things he just said, but some through former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We're no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. 
So Paul says, time out. Right or wrong doesn't really matter in this instance. And in this case of the brisket offered to idols, there was no real morality one way or the other. See, sometimes we like to make up rules and then we put ourselves on a pedestal for keeping those rules. But this wasn't a case of morality. But Paul does tell them that that doesn't mean, even though it's not a moral issue, that someone couldn't sin over this issue. See, maybe someone's background could trigger them into temptation if they ate that brisket that had been offered to idols. Maybe they grew up worshiping idols and eating this meat would cause them to stumble in some way. Or maybe if I sat down and ate this food that had been offered to idols, it would cause my brother to stumble away from the faith. Or maybe some unbeliever might see me eat this meat offered to idols and say, a Christian shouldn't do that. See, they're all hypocrites. Even though this was a non-issue, there were still ways to sin. How many of you know that there's a certain hand gesture that I could do that would offend almost everybody in the room? Everybody hold it up real quick. No, don't do that. Right? There's nothing wrong with my middle finger. My middle finger is not evil, right? It's just like all the other ones. God made it. I'm glad I have it. Is it even evil in and of itself? No. If I scratch my nose with that finger, is, am I going to get hit with lightning? Obviously not. But all those good logical arguments that I just made does not mean that I'm going to use that gesture, right? Why it would offend many people in this room, and it might even hurt someone's faith walk. And people that are not Christians might see a meme of me doing that and say, see, Christians are all hypocrites. He's no different than anybody else. Now, that's a small sacrifice uh, not to use that gesture. But Paul would say it is worth it. And it's worth it not eating that New York strip in order to not offend a brother or a non-believer as well. Verse 9 says, but take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating an idol's temple, eating in an idol's temple, will he not be discouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. The brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. See, we can have situations in our lives where we can choose to do something that's not against God in a vacuum. But if it hurts our brother or causes them to fail or to fall away from the faith, then we need to choose love over that tenderloin. We should not intentionally do anything that harms the spiritual progress of those around us. And we might not know someone's background and how that idol worship had hurt somebody in the past. We don't know their story. And notice it doesn't say here to convince that person that stumbles with meat offered to idols that you are right and that they are wrong. It doesn't say convince them that your way is the right way. Don't heckle them and say, hey, those gods aren't real. Stop being silly and eat it. No, love them where they're at. Your brother has the Holy Spirit. 
And it may be fine for, the, uh, for you, but, but they may, may need to abstain. And don't use your freedom for Christ to hurt your fellow brother. It's okay to lay down your freedoms, to love someone well. Now, if they aren't around and, that, uh, and then no one is offended, eat 15 steaks, right? Eat them all. I'll do it with you. But if it's wise, choose love over the T-bone. This is how the gospel responds to non-issues that cause division among us. And this is easy to talk about, right? Because this isn't a problem that we struggle with today. But there may be issues in your life where it's exactly the same attitude that you need to have. It's okay to agree to disagree. Don't tear each other apart over stuff like this. If God is silent, it's okay for two people. This is going to be really surprising. It's okay for two people to agree that they can't come to the same conclusion and still respect one another and love each other. It's okay for people to not come to the same conclusion and still respect and love each other. If you look on the internet, you can't believe that that is true, right? That, that, that doesn't make any sense in our culture right now. And maybe you're the one that is right about the issue like this. But don't use your knowledge to hurt someone else that is still working through these things. Love people where they're at. Paul goes on in chapter 9, talking about how some people think it's wrong for a person that preaches the gospel to get paid. In 1 Corinthians 9, 13, this would have been another point of contention for them. Do you not know? That those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Paul says, look, this is really how it was set up in the Old Testament. The priests ate the sacrifice. It's not really that different. And Paul could be a non-biased commenter on this subject because he was a bivocational pastor, and he made his money through tent-making. And that's an amazing thing as well. But he's talking about these points of contention in the church. In the next few verses, Paul says this famous line. He says, I became all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Paul is tackling, again, personal freedoms, this idea. Tony Evans says, Paul subjugated his personal preferences to the gospel so that he might share in the blessings. Paul isn't worried about everyone knowing that he is right. That's where we're at today, right? It's not just that I have a disagreement with you. I need you to know about it. And I need you to know every opinion that I have about every single thing that's going on in the world. But Paul's not worried about everyone knowing that he's right. Instead, what's important to him is that people come to know Jesus. And if that means he doesn't eat meat when he's at a restaurant in order for a waiter to come to know Jesus, then he's willing to do that if it helps the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9.22, he says this. He says, to the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people that I, by all means, might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. 
Paul says, I'm going to put the little stuff on the chopping block in order to push forward the gospel. So what in your life is holding back your gospel influence? What in your life is getting in the way of someone knowing Christ through your example? Next life, Paul says, uh, excuse me, next Paul says, look, life is a race and I'm trying to win and I'm trying to finish strong so that I might please the Lord. And Paul puts this bow on these thoughts that he's had in this last few chapters. He's trying to wrap it all up and he puts it basically in one verse in 1 Corinthians 10, 23, when he says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. There's a a big difference between things that are okay and what is best. And most of the decisions in your life aren't between good and bad, but good and best. And Paul says here, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Tim Mackey says, love will deny itself and look out for the well-being of other people. This is how the gospel responds to disagreements like this. Love puts the needs of others before my own, even if it means I miss out out on a pork chop because that would harm the chances of someone else coming to know Christ. God's love is at the core of the gospel And it should be at the core of who we are as well. Our spiritual liberty is not more important than our love for one another. Now, some things are non-negotiable. The virgin birth, the resurrection, the sinlessness of Christ, salvation by grace through faith, not of works, the Trinity, the Bible. But other things aren't worth hurting someone over in order to be seen as right. You don't need to share that criticism, right? Maybe it means you keep your thoughts to yourself in order to love that person well over issues that don't matter in eternity. 1 Corinthians 10, 24 says, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. We don't like these verses, right? Don't say that to me. I've got priorities. I've got things that are important to me. But what about what's important to your neighbor? What about what's important to to them coming to know Christ? See, loving your neighbor doesn't just mean not hating them, right? Love is action. Love seeks their good. Someone said the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is apathy. And how many people in our sphere of influence are we actually just completely apathetic about? Instead, seek the good of your neighbor. And what's better for your neighbor than for them to be in right relationship with their creator? Paul wraps up chapter 10 saying, look, it isn't even about me. It's about love. Chapter 10, verse 25. It says, eat whatever's sold in the meat market without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. 
For the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. Paul says, look, eat whatever meat you want. It's all God. But love your brother more than your appetites. You don't have to agree. You don't have to make some big pronouncement that all meat offered to idols is evil. But when you sit with them, you put their needs first. Verse 31, chapter 10. So whether you eat, we've heard this verse before, but this is the context. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everything and everything, every, everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Paul's not saying that I listen to everybody's opinion about who I should be and I do that. No, he says, I'm going to live in a way that won't let my personal preferences stand in the way of the gospel. And you got to think about this. Paul was dealing with people from all different types of cultures and every culture would have a different way of looking at things. And maybe in some houses he would need to take off his shoes. Maybe in other houses he would have to wash his hands first. He didn't care what he had to do in order to get the gospel. It's not a battle of culture. The fight is to spread the kingdom of God with the love of Jesus Christ. Love people more than the non-essentials. Put others first in order that they might grow in their faith or come to know Jesus as their Savior. This is how the gospel responds to points of contention. Whatever you do, bring God glory in it. And if it doesn't bring God glory, don't do it. So is there something today in your life that is offending a brother is there something that has hindered you in your life from sharing the gospel? Is there some opinion or is there some preference that's standing in the way? We're not talking about uh, the absolute non-negotiables of the faith. We're talking about these things that we make up and these ways that we divide ourselves. And these opinions that we have. Is there something that's standing in your life in the way of your brother? coming to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Maybe you have a critical spirit that hurts the people around you. Not every subject is worth fighting over. Don't use your freedoms in Christ as an excuse to help, uh, to, excuse me, to hurt your fellow brother. Don't have that attitude, was, if you don't like it, then get over it when someone is offended. Love puts the needs of others before my own. And even though this issue was a non-issue, Paul says, look, I'm not going to, I'll be vegan if I need to. Some of y'all's worst nightmare, right? <laughs> Some of y'all are also really mad that I mentioned like 10 different types of cuts of meat uh, to this morning too. Even though this issue was a non-issue, there were still ways to sin. This wasn't a moral thing. This was an opinion-based thing. These were preferences. All things are lawful, but all things are not helpful. So is there anything that's hindering you from sharing the gospel with the people in your sphere of influence? 
God's love is at the core of the gospel, and it should be at the core of who we are as well. So let's be careful to love our brothers and to love our neighbor more than we love our preferences. Every head's bowed, eyes closed. Band's going to come. We like to be seen as right. We don't like to think of ourselves as people that have something wrong. The best way to feel like you're right is to find ways to divide ourselves over and over and over again. And I'm the holy one, and other people are the evil ones. And I think I have things right, and they have it wrong. I'm the good people, and they're the bad people. Paul here shows us this morning there are times where what's important is not whose opinion is best on subjects like this, but what's important is to love our brother enough to not stand in the way of their relationship with Christ. Paul says, your opinion about me doesn't matter. Put it to the side. Do what you need to do to love your neighbor. Seek their good instead of your own. What if that means I don't eat meat? Paul says, it's totally worth it. If you have to skip out on one meal in order to love your brother and sister well. As a band plays quietly, let's ask God to search our heart if there's anything in our lives. Maybe it's not a face-to-face relationship. Maybe it's how we act on the internet. We want everybody to know our little thoughts on every little thing. And what we don't realize is we're actually standing in the way of that person coming to know Christ. Because if they have to agree with you about whether meat offered to idols is good or bad in order to come to Christ, then you just put up a barrier. Because that subject doesn't matter. Paul says, whatever you do, eat it or don't eat it. It doesn't matter. So what barriers are you putting up in your life that are stopping people from being drawn deeper into a relationship with Christ. What attitude do you have standing in the way of your gospel influence in people's lives? Maybe you're here today and you're not sure that If you died today, that heaven would be your home. You're not sure that you have a relationship with Christ. Talked about negotiable things and preferences today, but there are some real truths that cannot change. 
One of which is that we're a sinner. The Bible says that we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We don't like to think of ourselves as sinners. It's an uncomfortable thing, but we know that it's true. We've thought wicked thoughts. We've said wicked things. We've hurt the people around us. And sin hurts us and hurts those around us. Sin flooded into the world all the way back at the beginning. And ever since then, death and disease and hurt and pain has ravaged our world. The whole Old Testament is this story and attempt of God drawing people to himself and then failing over and over again. And eventually, God himself got off the throne of heaven. He was born of a virgin. An equal part of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect and a holy life for 33 years and he laid down his life on a cross. Knowing that you could not work yourself to heaven. You couldn't work yourself into a right relationship with your creator. Romans 5.8 says that God commanded his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died in our place. An innocent person for all of us guilty people so that you might have a way to get to God. These are the non-negotiables. These are the things that we cannot disagree about. See, Jesus didn't stay dead. On the third day, he rose from the grave, bringing our salvation with him. And he broke the chains of sin and death forever. The Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You've got a problem. That problem is sin. And because of that problem, you are separated from God, the one that made you. But Jesus Christ bridged the gap. He came to us and he took the punishment that your sin deserved once and for all. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon his name shall be saved. You simply have to accept that gift that Jesus gave. Put down all of your works and everything that you've done and you put your faith in what Jesus did on the cross and that alone. You can call out to God right now this morning. There's no reason to wait. But you could call out to him with something like this this morning. Words aren't important. It's not a magic prayer. You change it up. What matters is that you're sincere in your heart. You could call out with something like this. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that there's a penalty for my sin. It's death. Separation from you forever. Please forgive me. I'm turning from my sin. I'm turning to you. Put my faith in what you did on the cross. It's the only means to save me. That's you today. I want to encourage you to write that on the back of your connection card. I chose Jesus. Or maybe that's you online. You could shoot the church a message right there on the Facebook page. Say, hey, I chose Jesus today. There's no greater decision than you can ever make.
Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. God, I pray you, you help each and every one of us. God, I pray you help me. I love the feeling of thinking that I'm right. But God, help me to think about loving my neighbor on these non-essential issues, these preferences, these things that we make up to make ourselves feel holy. God, pray, I pray you help me to love people well. Pray help us as a church to love our neighbor and to seek their good, not just our own. In your name we pray.